You are listening to episode number 23 of the Nightingale podcast. I am so excited for this week's episode. We get to hear from Erin Pollitt. She is a forensic nurse examiner. I know many of you were really looking forward to hearing from a forensic nurse, and she just has an amazing nursing journey to share with us and just give us a little more insight into this role in the nursing profession. Before we dive on in and check out her nursing journey, I just wanted to touch on the subject of grace. So I don't know about you, but sometimes I am the last person to give myself grace. This came into play. I actually, we skipped a week of the Nightingale podcast last week because I moved. My husband and I bought a house and I was going through the process of closing, moving in, starting renovations, and I was not in any shape to put out a podcast episode. And you know what? I was not happy about it, friends, because I'm the type of person that if I set my mind to something, I have to get it out, and I didn't want to feel like I was letting you all down, and I just want to be consistent, and it's just part of my personality that I just don't offer myself the grace to just give myself a week off and just offer you a break from the podcast so that I can offer you the best content that is being put out when I actually do put it out. So I just wanted to chat about grace because I think that you all will agree that grace is something that you have a hard time allowing yourself, especially when it comes to our role as a nurse. I know that a lot of times we all have this same personality where we have a very strong and we're very motivated and driven and we want to do the right thing and we want to be perfect all the time. And especially when it comes to taking care of our patient and being a good coworker and a good friend and a good Um, partner and all of the things, we sometimes just do not allow ourselves to have the flexibility and just to give ourselves a little bit of leeway. And so I just want to challenge you all to start to think about giving yourself some grace because we are always the first people to offer grace onto other people. We offer grace to our patients, to our coworkers, to our managers, to everyone around us, and we do not give ourselves that grace back. So when you go into work and you feel like you made a mistake or you didn't give it your all or you are pursuing a new venture or whatever it may be and you don't feel like it went as well as you wanted it to or you didn't feel like it was as perfect as it should have been or fill in the blank say you made a med error or you did something in a different way that you're supposed to whatever it may be gosh give yourself some grace it's okay to make mistakes it's okay to to give ourselves some some room for error and to learn from it and to just build and grow within ourselves from it. So I just want to just reflect on that, that 
we can work on grace within ourselves because we offer it to everyone around us. With all of that being said, I am super pumped to be moved into our new house and this just gives me a whole new fresh perspective and a space to get organized and to focus on the podcast more. I am so pumped to just continue to put out some great content for you all and to find some amazing guests for the podcast and really to just hone in on what you all are looking for. So if you are loving the Nightingale podcast and you are a avid listener of the podcast, I would welcome you to go ahead and leave a review for me so that I can hear what you're loving about the podcast, what you would love to see in future episodes, because this podcast is all for you. And if you could share the Nightingale podcast with a friend who you know would enjoy listening, that would mean so much to me to get this podcast into as many hands as possible. Hey friends, welcome to the Nightingale Podcast, a podcast for nurses, future nurses, and, well, anyone interested in the nursing profession. I'm your host, Dakota Falkowski, RN, BSN, and DNP student. Join us each week as I interview nurses from all areas of the nursing profession to uncover nursing opportunities that you may have not known even existed. You can expect to be inspired and maybe even a little bit motivated. The goal of the Nightingale podcast is to encourage you to think outside of the box, step outside of that comfort zone of yours, and reach for a fulfilling and unique nursing journey. So let's dive in and check out this week's guest. You never know, they may just have your dream job. Hello, Erin. Welcome to the Nightingale podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so happy that you are joining us today. You are in an area of nursing that is really interesting and probably foreign to a lot of people. So this is going to be really beneficial. Awesome. Thank you. I would love to dive right on in and get started with you just introducing yourself and telling us just a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Erin Pollitt and I'm a forensic nurse. I um, work in Washington, D.C. at a nonprofit called District of Columbia Forensic Nurse Examiners. My current position there is executive director. Um, I went to nursing school. I actually live in Baltimore, Maryland. And so I went to nursing school here at Stevenson University. Um, but when I went there, it was still called Villa Julie College. And um, I have been a nurse for 12 years. Awesome. And so where did you kind of start your nursing journey? How did you get started? So I actually went to nursing school straight out of high school, um, which I, I enrolled in nursing school pretty much like two or three months prior to the school actually starting, I changed majors and I was going to go for pre-veterinary and I changed my mind and decided that I would rather um, take care of people than animals, although I love animals too. And so right out of high school, I uh, started a four-year nursing program and graduated in 2007 with my BSN. 
Perfect. That is so cool too, how you just made shifts right away and realized that nursing was kind of where you wanted to go. Yeah, I'm so glad I went that way too. <laughs> right. And so I know this is probably a question that a lot of people are asking is what is a forensic nurse? What all does that entail? It sounds so interesting and it's something that we don't often see every day. So tell us a little bit about forensic nursing. Sure. So a forensic nurse is a nurse that's been specially trained to care for patients who experience violence. And so what that looks for in my organization is that we provide trauma-informed care to adult and adolescent patients who have experienced sexual assault or intimate partner violence. Um, you may have heard the term SANE, um, sexual assault nurse examiner. And so we fill that role in Washington, D.C. Um, there are a variety of subspecialties in forensic nursing that our organization doesn't necessarily do, but probably you know, throughout the field, you would see um, things other than sexual assault and domestic violence, including child abuse, neglect, elder abuse, trauma, death investigation, um, correctional health, and kind of the common denominator in all of those subspecialties within our field is that um, those subspecialties would have the capacity to intersect with the legal system in some way. And of course, they're all vulnerable populations. Wow. So that really does encompass so many aspects of just that care in general. Absolutely. So how did you end up kind of in this area of nursing? Did you do this right out of school or what led you to pursuing this area? No, I didn't do it right out of school. In fact, I don't think I even knew what it yeah. was right out of school. Um, they, it's something that they really don't touch on in nursing school, so maybe one day we'll change that. <laughs> yeah. But um, I actually, in um, the last year of nursing school prior to graduation, I was a nurse extern in an emergency department in Baltimore City. Uh, shout out to Union Memorial Hospital. <laughs> and... Um, I got a job there right after graduation and have been there for 12 years. I actually still work there in a PRN capacity now. And um, so I was working in a city emergency department. Of course, I would have the opportunity to interact with patients who had experienced violence. And um, kind of midway through that 12 years, I was kind of um, working with a nurse who had transitioned into forensics and she had told me of a class that was being taught in our area. And so I decided to investigate it. I also had had some encouragement from my aunt who is a social worker and had worked with um, sexual assault patients often. And so she had kind of planted that seed in my mind too that, oh, you know, maybe you should do forensics. This looks really cool. So I took that class, um, and that was in 2011. And then I've been working as a forensic nurse ever since. That's just amazing. I I think, too, that it is so inspiring to just hear how your journey has evolved and how this is a great thing for people to hear is that 
when we are in a certain area of nursing, we're exposed to a lot of areas just so keep your eyes peeled and just your heart open to exploring different areas that might be available to you in your current position that you could kind of branch out. Absolutely. So um, I, I took the class and I got hired um, at a different hospital in Baltimore City because not all hospitals have forensic nurses. It's kind of like a specialty uh, field. And in Maryland, they have it kind of regionalized. So I got hired to the hospital in Baltimore City that, um, that does forensic nursing, and that was Mercy Medical Center. And I worked as an on-call forensic nurse in addition to uh, working in the emergency department full-time. And I did that for five years, uh, working in an on-call capacity. And um, on-call eventually led to part-time. So I worked part-time ER and part-time forensics. Um, until eventually I was offered a full-time position to come work in Washington, D.C. And, of course, I wanted to do forensics full-time, and so I decided to make that transition. Tell us a little bit about your current position and the organization that you are with now. So we, um, like I said, we care for adults and adolescents in Washington, D.C. We are a nonprofit, so that's a little bit different than hospital-based forensic programs that nurses might be familiar with. Um, our nonprofit uh, provides forensic nurses to all the hospitals in D.C., although we do have one hospital that is our um, host site, and that's Washington Hospital Center. And so we have an exam suite on their site that we can care for patients and um, that's kind of the specialty center in D.C. However, we're able to travel to other hospitals in the district if we need to in order to provide services there. Um, yep, so adults and adolescents, in our role as a forensic nurse, our nurses are working on call and responding to the hospital within an hour when patients report um, to the hospital with a complaint of sexual assault or intimate partner violence. And so tell us a little bit about how, what you're, once you get to the hospital, once you've been called in, what do you do as part of this? Absolutely. So, um, so the nurses are on call and there's really no type of an average day, right? You can <laughs> never predict when violence is going to happen. Um, but our nurses will respond and um, they will offer the patient any part of um, our vast array of services. We're a very consent-based practice, so uh, we will hear from the patient what has happened to them and we will devise a care plan, but then we'll offer um, all those bits of the care plan to the patient and they can choose uh, which ones they want and which ones they might not want or might not feel comfortable with. So some of the things that we can offer, um, well, the first thing is we would always do a thorough history taking. Um, that would include what happened to the patient to make them seek care. And again, that helps us to formulate what we might need to offer them. And we'd do a head-to-toe uh, physical exam for the patient, including injury documentation and photography if the patient consents to that. Um, could include physical evidence collection, um, which either could include the sexual assault kit or swabs 
um, from various parts of the body that were affected, as well as possibly clothing collection if the patient wants to submit any of their clothing for evidence. We can do toxicology testing. So oftentimes we'll have patients who had some lapse in memory or had a period of unconsciousness and they're concerned that maybe they were drugged. And so we can do the toxicology testing to um, tell them that. We offer the patient preventative medications that could help them protect from an unwanted pregnancy or HIV or sexually transmitted infections. Uh, we do respond jointly with advocates to the hospital. And so the patients are linked with advocacy so that they can have that advocate for support during the time and for follow-up. Um, after all of that's done, so that's kind of, in a nutshell, our interaction with the patient, which on average takes three to four hours. Um, it's very detailed. And of course, we go at the pace that the patient is comfortable with, right? They've just experienced something horrific. And so we want to meet them where they are and, of course, not rush them, but give them time to kind of think through what parts they want from this and what parts they don't. Um, after we actually are finished with the patient, there's time that the nurse is kind of finishing up our documentation, which is a very extensive 30-page document with diagrams where they're you know, charting what they found on the patient's body. Um, of course, sealing up the evidence and maintaining chain of custody in that respect. And then afterwards, like even after that day that you might see the patient, we made a patient in there one day, but we might encounter the legal system in testifying um, for what we have done later on down the road. So we also are available to provide courtroom testimony if um, the case were to go forward in a legal perspective. I love, love this role. I think that it is so needed in in this area of nursing because I've been on the other end working in the ER and it, I've seen it at multiple different hospitals. It's very stressful for the ER nurse to do this. So I love that you guys come in as the experts to do this because I think sometimes too, we get so focused on the other side since we don't do this every day on just like, what are the legal ramifications? We get so focused on making sure that everything is so by the book because I'm sure you can tell people it's very, very tedious and you just really have to make sure you're doing everything correctly because you don't want to, you don't want to taint any evidence or do anything that could potentially like hurt this case in the long run. So that's always in the back of our minds. And I think we forget about the patient, unfortunately, and we forget what they're going through. And so I just love that you are able to come in as that expert and just be there and just you are very comfortable with doing it. So you're able to focus more on them, which is so, so necessary during this time. Absolutely. And, you know, it's different in various jurisdictions, but I will say one of the beauties of working in a nonprofit-based forensic nursing program is that about half of our nurses that work for us are full-time with us, which means that they are, you know, they're 36 to 40 hours a week. They're on call to care for patients. And we see, we see a high volume of patients. So these nurses are doing this, you know, multiple times a shift. 
definitely multiple times a week. So they're very experienced in this role, which of course is only of more benefit to the patient. Um, I'll also say that in working in the ER, um, you know, we have multiple competing priorities. So it, it is really nice that you have a nurse who can be one-to-one with this patient that doesn't have to um, speed up or rush the patient because we've got another patient who, you know, might be coding or someone has like a medical emergency um, and we can stay focused on this one patient in their time of need. So I really think that that's an awesome part of this job. Oh, I totally agree. I definitely have been there, done that, where you're just really on that other end feeling like you you obviously want to be there and you want to be so focused on them, but it's so true because you said it's it's such a long process. So right from the get go, you know that you have to you have to get things done appropriately and you have to you almost have to hand off all your other priorities to someone else because that really does need to be your main focus. Absolutely. So I would love to hear what kind of experience do you need to kind of get you into this type of position? What special certifications and training did you go through to get here? So I'll just start with in general, there's a 40-hour training course that you need to take in order to become a SANE nurse, a sexual assault nurse examiner. Um, I took mine through the state of Maryland, but there's also one that's offered online through the International Association of Forensic Nurses. Um, That's our professional organization. So I would suggest for anybody who is really interested in joining the forensic nursing field that um, they should definitely check out the website, International Association of Forensic Nurses, Um, even join. Um, They have a student membership for people who are still in nursing school, but um, they are gonna be the go-to resource for all things forensic nursing related and even link you up with the people that you would need to know in your area to get started with this. Um, So that aside, um, that's my humble plug for that. Um, (laughs) You take your 40 hour course and then there's a clinical preceptorship component. And so um, states, various states will regulate the forensic nursing specialty differently So again, for folks who might be interested in this field, I would check your own state board of nursing to see that state's individual requirements. Maryland requires FNE credentials as part of their nursing licensing. So you'll see the credentials behind my name, say FNEA, um, stands for Forensic Nurse Examiner Adult and Adolescent, indicating that I've been licensed to care for adult and adolescent forensic patients in the state of Maryland. Not all states have this extra step required. Um, so it, you know, just because your state doesn't have that in their board of nursing doesn't mean that you can't practice. Um, so you'll have to see what your state requires. Uh, you'll also see the SANE A certification behind my name. And that's meaning that I sat for the sexual assault nurse examiner certification test. Um, It's also not a requirement to practice in most places. In fact, you're not even eligible to sit for that exam until you've practiced for at least 300 hours in the field. Um, 
if you are looking into taking the 40-hour SANE course, um, most places will want you to be a nurse for two years. Um, and, I mean, some places will do a year and a half, but I think the general average is about two years. Um, I would suggest, just from my personal experience, that it is helpful to work in a field of nursing that you are using your assessment skills on a daily basis. So because the head-to-toe assessment in forensics is such a vital part of that process, you definitely want to make sure that you are comfortable doing a head-to-toe assessment every day. So that would be my one, um, my one suggestion if you're looking into doing this. That's great advice. I think that is going to be really helpful for people to kind of know a first step. Is there, did, obviously you were seeing this in your role, but for people who are kind of wanting more information, do you suggest, is there a way they can reach out to organizations to possibly shadow? Is that something that you see being done? I know it's such an intimate situation. Do you see people shadowing and being able to just really experience what this whole process entails? Absolutely. And again, you have to check with the specific organizations. I would say that my organization, um, we definitely will offer shadowing experiences to people who are interested. Um, Organizations I've worked with before have done the same thing. So um, if there is an organization in your area, then that's a great way to kind of see if this is for you. Because, you know, it's not for everyone. So if you're going to go through the extensive training and, and a lot of individual training too, it's, um, it's important that you kind of know what you're getting into with that. Yes, for sure. I think shadowing for any field of nursing is so beneficial because you don't really know, like you said, until you get into it, what it's really like. Absolutely. So kind of going along with just kind of not everyone will love this position, I want to hear, because for some people listening, you're probably like, wow, this just seems like a really heart-wrenching job. I want to hear what what do you love about this field of nursing? What is kind of your reason for pushing forward? What are your big strengths within the position? Sure. So um, what do I love about it? I love that we are able to be there for our patients during a time when they're super vulnerable, uh, likely the worst day of their life. And you are the person that is there for them, helping them to kind of regain their um, sense of autonomy, their ability to make a choice when perhaps a choice was taken away from them to bring them here to you. Um, I also you know, mentioned that it's just a way that I can use my therapeutic communication skills that I learned from nursing in a way that's different and contrasts a lot from my emergency background where I was juggling a large patient load um, and not able to spend as much one-on-one time with my patients. So I really do enjoy being a part of that process. I love that. I was going, I was thinking that, that it's just so, amazing that you in this role you get such a comprehensive use of your nursing skills you really like you said you get that assessment you get that critical thinking you get all of that on top of you really get that one-on-one patient therapeutic communication you are there as a support system for them so that is amazing 
Absolutely. And, you know, touching on your um, comments about the critical thinking is that you're working very autonomously in this role. And so if you're an independent person that, you know, once you learn something, you're kind of confident in your skills and your practice, then this is definitely a job where you can work autonomously. You're not going to be working on a unit with kind of like your boss sitting there hovering over you or a charge nurse there. You know, it's very different than floor nursing where maybe you even have other, you know, emergency nurses, for instance, that you can bounce ideas off of. You're working very independently. So when I'm in the room caring for the patient, it's usually me, the patient, and their advocate there. And so, um, you know, there's always someone to call and to rely on for support. For instance, we always have an administrator on call for our nurses to, you know, rely on if they have a question in the middle of the night or something like that. But you are largely working on your own, which for some people, you know, is a wonderful thing. For other people, it might not be their cup of tea. All right. And this is such a great position for someone who is... We have such a big push to go back to school. And when we have this push to go back, we picture only like a certain route. Like everyone's just picturing nurse practitioner right now. It's being so drilled. And I just love that this is a great option for people who want to continue on their learning. They want to specialize. They want additional education. And you're very autonomous, like you said. And it's just a great option that you can go and you are really an expert in one specific field. So this is great for people to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I would recommend it for anyone who's looking for, you know, that extra way to make a difference. Friends, starting a new position is scary. It's frightening. It's overwhelming. It's exciting. It's all of the things. I know I've started many new positions in my time as an RN. But really, it doesn't have to be as difficult as we try to make it. Through these experiences, I have gathered five tips to starting a new position and making that transition as smooth as possible. I have created a free guide for you as my listeners to make this transition as seamless as possible and allow you to really excel in your new position. So if you recently started a new position, you are going to start a new job, or you know someone who's going to start a new position. I mean, come on, you have to fall into one of those three categories. Then head on over to the nightingalepodcast.com to sign up to receive your 100% free copy of the five tips PDF. I'm here to support you through all your new ventures in your careers, and I believe these five tips are going to do just that. So head on over to thenightingalepodcast.com after this episode and download your free guide. I mean, come on, what do you have to lose? So talking kind of about making a difference, I'm sure I would love to hear kind of what especially I'm sure in your new position, what does the advocacy component of this position or this field of nursing look like, even with to the organization, the um, nursing organization that you're partnered with? I'll say that the advocates that are in the room with the patient are not nurses. So they are, um, ours in DC are professional advocates. And so they are there to kind of support the patient, talk the patient through what their various choices might mean to them and just 
help um, follow them through the case after they leave the hospital. Um, as a nurse or as a forensic nurse, we have to walk a fine line. Um, that's why we have to have an advocate in the room because the advocate is able to really be the supportive person that follows that patient on in time in order for us to be seen as unbiased medical professionals then we really need to have that extra person doing that extra advocacy for the patient so this is kind of a contrast to what we've learned in nursing school and what we've seen our whole you know our whole career saying like you must advocate for your patients and by all means we do advocate for our patients as patients but um, the advocate themselves can advocate and keep an ongoing relationship with this patient and so we're coming from a very medical perspective of things everything that we do for the patient comes back to us being a nurse first and foremost and so it's really important to kind of keep that delineation so that when we go to court and testify, uh, we don't do anything that could jeopardize this patient's case um, if they would choose to move forward. Um, in general, I would say that um, our forensic nursing organization, they do have um, a certain element of advocacy that they do for our profession in general. And a lot of that is online um, that you can look up and see the various um, legislative priorities that they're advocating for, um, as well as they have an annual advocacy day where the nurses can get together and um, learn about the priorities in our field. Great, that's really nice. Do you see a great need for nurses in this area? Is there a shortage? What do you see the future of this industry looking like? Um, you know, I, I definitely think that the future of forensic nursing needs to include growth. Um, it's, we see that just because this field is um, maybe not the most uplifting field always <laughs> that um, there's some turnover uh, in the field and you know maybe partially because uh, many nurses are doing it as a on-call or prn position on top of their primary role but um, we do see some turnover and um, so there's that so we have that natural attrition related to the turnover but just in general, there's not enough uh, forensic nurses just in, yeah, in general. So it really, um, we definitely need to see some growth related to that. And I think that we're making great strides in even the last few years and getting more forensic nurses trained and practicing. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. So how for people who who are like thinking about that, uh, about the the aspect that it can be a little disheartening to do this. So what what do you do to kind of conquer this and to have the right mindset for you to continue to pursue this and not to to encounter burnout with this type of position? Okay, yeah, so burnout is definitely <laughs> something that we're always working to avoid. Um, you know, I enjoy the work, but 
I think part of the reason that I can avoid that burnout is really emphasizing my own self-care. And we emphasize the team's self-care too. So we really try to prioritize that and make sure that, um, you know, we tell all the people on our team that, you know, if you're getting to a point where you think you're going to burn out, come to us first so that we can try and, you know, find a way to lighten your load or, or you know, get you someone to talk to in this time rather than um, waiting till it's too late. So we're always having an open communication about, like, the self-care needs of our team. And so I think that that is really important. Um, another thing, at least with our team, we found is helpful is that we meet together at least once a month where we can all kind of see each other and share our experiences and really just have um, a time to bond as a team of people who have all gone through and experienced similar things. Um, so I think that that's really important, especially being that the nurses are practicing independently and you might not get a chance to like vent to your coworker or something like that. Um, whereas you might get to do so on the floor or something like, or in the break room or at lunch, mm -hmm. uh, you're working by yourself. And so it's really important to have that time to bond together as a team so that um, they can help to fight that burnout. Yes. I think that is so, so important for all areas of nursing that not only that debriefing kind of component that you were talking about, but that realization and that inner self-awareness that you catch it before before you get to that burnout phase and that you reach out to the people, whether it be management, whether it be a coworker, someone that you can reach out in any any nursing role to just say, hey, I've, I'm having these thoughts. I'm getting really burnt out so that someone can kind of even brainstorm. What can we do to refuel you for this? What can we do to change your mindset because sometimes once we get into that mindset, oh, that we're so burnt out that we can't handle it anymore. It's hard for us to reset our mind and we get so focused on that, that unfortunately, if maybe we would have like conquered it early, we might not have gotten to this point because I'm sure that it would be something in the future that you could find passion for again. So just stepping back and honoring that burnout because it, it's so real and it happens to everyone. Absolutely. And it happens in all fields. So, I mean, I think that's a lesson that whether you're going into forensic nursing or not, we could all take a little time to be self-aware about, you know, your, the vicarious trauma that you might be getting from your own field of nursing that you're in. Yes, absolutely. So I know there's obviously some obvious ones that we've already talked about. What other downsides, if any, are there do you find to your position? Well, I mean, it's definitely unpredictable. So, you know, <laughs> you can't predict when violence happens. Um, it involves nights and weekends. And, you know, so people who, if you're a day shift only person, then I think it's going to be rare that you find a forensic nursing job that is days only. So yeah. um, it's, um, there's definitely that component. I mean, no one likes getting woken up out of bed at three o'clock in the morning to go into work on a whim. Mm -hmm. But um, that's, you know, that is for sure part of the process. And so, um, so that's the downside. 
Um, I would also say that depending on where you're located, uh, there is sometimes not a high availability of full-time positions in this field. And so if for people who are wanting to do this full-time and there's not a full-time option in their area, then that, of course, uh, would be a downside to this. You know, and hopefully when we are um, expanding and growing this profession, that will change. But, like, for right now, that is also a downside worth noting. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. So did you, I want to hear, it's so interesting to hear it because everyone's journey is so different with their nursing career. Did you receive any big advice or learn any important lessons to kind of get you to where you are today in your nursing career? Well, okay. So there's a couple. Yeah, I'd love to hear (laughs) it. I was going to say, well, in 12 years of nursing, there's (laughs) a lot of lessons that I have learned, but The ones that probably really resonate with me related to this field, um, the first one, and this is probably would work for any field, is just to um, persevere and to keep trying. Um, What I'm thinking about with regards to that is um, I actually, and I'll I will say this now because I'm okay with it, but Mm -hmm. I failed the CNA test twice before I finally passed it. And it's a difficult test, you know, it's supposed to prove that you are an expert in this field. And I took it right from the very start that, um, you know, as soon as I was qualified for it, I sat and took it and I didn't end up passing it until I took it two more times. So um, it's easy, especially for, I think a lot of nurses have these perfectionistic tendencies. So Mm -hmm. I think it's easy for us to think, oh my gosh, I failed my certification test. What am I going to do? And um, kind of be demoralized by that. But I mean, you just keep trying and eventually I passed it. And, you know, here I am now. And it, you know, has only made me a better forensic nurse. And now I have this certification. And um, so I would say for that, just keep trying and don't get disheartened if you don't pass, you know, that test or if you don't make it in any respect on the first try, just keep trying. So um, that's one thing that's really kind of resonated with me over the years. Um, Another thing that helped me to be a little bit more successful in this field, or at least to feel more comfortable was coming to terms with the fact that the patient needs to make their own choices despite what you might think would be the best or safest choice for them to make. And so that was kind of a lesson that you learn over time. And it's never easy when a patient is making a choice that, you know, you think might be unsafe. Um, For instance, going back to their abuser, and you know that they're going to do that and you're fearful for that, but we can't make the choice for them and we can just make sure that they have all the knowledge that they need and they have the resources to come seek help again if they would need it. So, so that was definitely a lesson, like a big lesson I had to learn was kind of putting my own thoughts aside on what was the best for the patient, letting the patient decide what's the best thing for them. So that was really important. Um, The last thing that I would say is um, I really 
from my time being a forensic nurse for the last seven years, I had to kind of redefine what success looked like in the realm of like the patient experience. And so I used to feel disheartened or, um, or upset if there wasn't a justice outcome for my patients, for instance. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've kind of learned that you can't be looking towards justice as a sign of success. You have to think of other ways to measure the success of what you have done for the patient. Like I was there for the patient in their vulnerable time. I gave them choices in regards to their care and I helped them with X, Y, and Z instead of, oh, we went forward with, or the patient rather went forward with a legal case and there was no outcome to it. You can't let that part of it break you because sometimes that will happen but the justice part is separate from what we are doing in the moment with the patient so it took me some time to finally come to terms with that and just redefining what that success is because if you look at it that way then all of your encounters with the patient have some sort of success to them so that's really important uh I love all three of those. That is so, so good for every single person, no matter if you're in forensic nursing or not. I think that advice is so helpful. And I could see that being a really, a troubling thing to really get a hold of when you're in your area of nursing is just that idea that everything doesn't really work out as you have in your mind, this perfect thing. And like you said, you, you did everything you could and that that's all that really matters at that point. And you, you're still falling back on, you're a nurse, you're there to encompass comprehensive care for that patient. So that is really your ultimate goal is to be that patient's, um, medical nursing advocate. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would love to real quick touch on just the the justice side for a second. And I know that is, I know being on the other end, it's just a really feared in every aspect of nursing. We all fear that court system and going and testifying. How has that been in, in your role? Is that something that you learn over time to be more comfortable with and just grow more experienced with? How is that? So, I mean, I'll start by saying the fear is real, right? <laughs> Everyone's had a first time that they've had to go and testify. And I don't know if I know a single nurse who was pure confident when they went for their first time. So, um, so that's something that's common with everyone. Um, some of the good things are that um, our didactic training includes the courtroom um, components. So we're kind of learning about what the testimony portion looks like before you're even um, qualified to go and testify. Yeah. You're kind of learning about it on the front end, as well as in real time, when you are called to testify, you get prepped by uh, the prosecutor, you'll get prepped likely by um, your manager or someone in your program. So you practice a lot along the way. Um, we also encourage our nurses to go watch each other if they testify and participate in like mock trials and things of that nature to really help get them feel more comfortable 
with the process, but I mean, anybody is going to be nervous on their first time, their fifth time, their 10th time, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sure, you know, of course, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. But I've testified a number of times and every time I'm still a little bit nervous because there's some element of the unknown, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know. Um, but all you can do is kind of practice. And so you just practice, you know, your case, you chart really thoroughly on the front end of things so that if you're called for a case that you did five years ago, that your documentation will stand the test of time and you can accurately remember what happened to that patient because you charted it so well. Uh, So those are kind of the things that help it to be a less stressful um, experience. Although I think there's going to be some level of anxiety regardless. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's obviously not an area where we're like trained to do or that you're really prepared to do. And obviously, even though you're not on trial, you I'm sure feel like it a little bit. So that's really helpful advice. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you know, say you can go as a fact or an expert witness. And most of the time the nurses are going as a fact witness. So they're just there to say what they saw, what they did, what they encountered. So if you're just saying what you saw and what you did, then um, you really can't go wrong with that, especially if you've charted it so well that, you know, there's no questioning what was done. You can also go as an expert, and um, that's usually for people who are more experienced. Um, They'll render an opinion on the case, which may or may not be their own case. They'll render an opinion. Um, So that's a little more tricky, but again, a lot of preparation goes into that as well. Yeah, cool. It's neat, too, that you're getting a whole other side of a whole different profession that we didn't really think about when we went into nursing. So that's really neat. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, so much of this podcast is about just excelling and just being motivated, inspired to reach our goals and just set big goals for ourselves. So I'd love to hear what your long-term goals or vision is for your career. So I'm new to the role of executive director. And so right now, my goal is really just to learn this role and excel in it. Um, It's different than um, I was previously uh, the nurse manager at DCF&E. So it's a little bit different in the general, you know, vision. So now my job is to kind of look at the big picture and ensure the success of our organization versus managing the nurses specifically. And uh, so I'm really just looking forward to um, getting good at this job. Um, I'm not sure what the future holds, but I'm really excited at the possibility of, you know, being able to help more people and to advance the field of forensic nursing. So hopefully I can do some of that through DCF&E. That's awesome. I love that. I love just the, it doesn't have to be always, this is a great example of it just doesn't have to be a huge next goal. It can, your goal sometimes is just to be an expert and to just excel in your current position. And just, especially for people like yourself that are transitioning into new roles who have maybe have reached that long-term goal now, and it's looking at what that looks like. Yeah, this was the next goal. So now (laughs) 
So now I just need to figure this out before I pick another one, Very cool. which I'm comfortable with. <laughs> Good. So I'd love to end the podcast with just one final kind of fun question. So I, when I was creating the podcast, I named it the Nightingale podcast. And shortly after I came to a weird realization that I had two Nightingale bird tattoos on my back. And so it was just a really funny kind of thing that made me realize that this was really meant to be. And so I would love to hear if you have any tattoos, what are they? If not, if you were to get a tattoo, what would you get? So I do have a number of tattoos and I know we're short on time, so I won't tell you every single one of them. Uh, however, one that I really love is I have runner's wings tattooed on my ankle and Achilles. And I love that because I kind of put a mission to run a marathon before I turned 30 years old. And um, somebody important in my life who is no longer in my life had told me that I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up doing it and was proud enough that I wanted to commemorate that. And I had been um, kind of on a running journey at that time. And so I actually ran three marathons that year and decided, okay, now I'm going to get the tattoo. And so that one is one that I'm really proud of. And I look to it, you know, in times where I'm remembering that I can persevere and that I can do things that I put my mind to. Gosh, that's awesome. Good for you. That is a really, really inspirational tattoo. That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. So thank you so much for chatting with us today. This has been so beneficial and you have done such a great job of just sharing a new and um, just very interesting area of the nursing profession. So I really appreciate you joining us today. Of course. Thank you. And if folks want to learn anything more about our organization, um, they can definitely check out DCFNE online or I would say the International Association of Forensic Nurses if you want more information on forensic nursing in general. Perfect. Love it. Thank you so much, Erin. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Nightingale Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure you subscribe so that you are getting weekly notifications when the new episode comes out. And while you are there, I would really appreciate you leaving a review. And maybe your review will be featured on an upcoming podcast. You can check out all episodes at thenightingalepodcast.com or on Facebook at The Nightingale Podcast.